1: All right. Welcome back. This is Larry Woolmore. How are you guys doing? You are listening to Black on the Air, my podcast. <laughs> I don't know why I'm silly today. Um, but thanks for listening. Got a good show today. Talking to the great Al Roker of, of course, the weather person at NBC News. He's got a book out. You look so much better in person. And it was fun to talk to Al, talking about his career. He's been around for so long, his ups and downs. He's got a lot of... Uh, Like, I don't know if tips are the right words. He calls them altruisms in his books. But it's interesting to talk to Al about his journey, you know, in this business, you know, especially a black person, you know, being on television. Such a big deal when he started. It's kind of interesting. But uh, so we're talking to the great Al Roker a little later on. A lot of stuff going on out there. Um, You know what I wanted to talk about? I don't have much to say in politics this week. Maybe I'll cover it next week. Hopefully they'll be picking... Hopefully Biden will be picking his VP soon, so because that'll be some good stuff to talk about. And Trump, uh, oh, let me just veer off on this first. Trump is just out of his mind, you guys. And I want to, when I say that, he's out of his mind in a way that I have never seen this before. You know, when he's, here we have a president who's boasting about taking a cognitive test. Did you guys, you guys saw that thing, Right where he's treating it like it's some IQ test or an SAT test that he got a perfect 1600 on it's he took a cognitive test so people can make sure that he still have his has his faculties you know those tests are usually given out to detect you know early alzheimers pre dementia that kind of stuff you know it's kind of a pseudo memory test a recognition test like is that an elephant yes point to the elephant you know and, and by the way, the great Sarah Cooper did a great pantomime of him explaining that the uh, person, woman, man, camera, TV. I mean, this interview, you guys have to see it if you haven't seen it, where he's, uh, it was a Fox interview, but it's all over the internet, where he's explaining how hard this test was. And it was really hard because he had to repeat those words. Guys, what is going on? This man is a fool. What is going on? And In doing that, he's trying to make the case that we should be concerned that Joe Biden is the one who is losing his cognitive ability, that there's something wrong with Biden, that you can't vote for him because his ability to have a clear mind is not to be trusted. And what he's really saying is that that Biden is having some mental issues associated with Alzheimer's and that kind of stuff. Such an ugly, mean thing to say. But, you know. Who would expect more from this horrible individual to say that stuff? And then the nerve to say it while he's talking about this speech is is another in the nadir of low moments for this uh, Tangerine Idi I mean, It's just astounding to me. And the fact that you have the president of the United States, you guys, making a farce out of the real, true and tragic issue of mental illness. Right now, that's what he's really making fun of. That's where he's ridiculing from. He doesn't mind ridiculing people for the most, for the things you should never, ever make fun of, you know. But the fact that he would target mental illness and try to get us to believe that Biden is suffering from something like that, when clearly he's the one that is having a cognitive functioning problem, as well as he's a sociopath and psychopath, but also. To be so tone deaf and to know that this is not something that you make fun of. Guys, even Kim Kardashian, who, you know, of course is married to Kanye West and Kanye's had some very public journeys, let's say, dealing with the issue of being bipolar. Uh, he's even talked about it. You could see how frustrated he is when he talks about it. It looks like he's in some kind of prison sometimes. He said some outrageous things. And some of those things, I believe, aren't an issue of bipolar. It's just some of his beliefs are a little crazy. I mean, he's an artist. But some of it is, has to do with that condition, which is no joke. So Kim Kardashian, who, you know, many people have dismissed, including myself, you know, in years past as being one of those typical superficial, you know, celebrity type people, gave an unbelievably sensitive in really nice statement about her husband and the the battle that he's been going through, asking for our respect, you know, and distance in that, you know, she doesn't want to see her husband ridiculed and, and talking about mental illness in her statement, guys, who would have thought that Kim Kardashian West, you know, would be the paragon of decency and respect, you know, and I don't want to attack her because I really don't know her stuff that well. You know, I think the stuff she's done on criminal justice and all that, good for her. And if she's redefining herself, good for her. But huge props to her on this. And she's out. And, of course, she's supporting her man, her husband, all that stuff. And, of course, I'm sure even on the friendship level, she's really close to him and all that stuff. No, Regardless, of, even if you're having problems during your marriage, a lot of those things are still true. You still respect and care about that person. But good for her. And contrast that to the so-called "leader of the free world who use this issue, this subject matter, as a point of ridicule, and thinking that we're just happily getting on that train, like it's a wink and a nod to us, like, yeah, you're right, Mr. President. yeah, yeah, let's make fun of this. You're right, you know, shoot, uh, person, woman, man, camera, TV. I don't know how you did that. He's such a fool. So anyhow, that's so all I want to say about that. So sports started. Uh, let me talk about this real quick. Here's the thing that's getting me. The whole national anthem thing and people getting upset over who's kneeling for the anthem, who's not. You have basketball, has Black Lives Matter on their floor, and players are going to put slogans on their jerseys and all this stuff. And Okay, I'm a little concerned about what's going on right now. And here's what my concern is. I'm concerned that a lot of what is happening right now is kind of empty gesturing. Like, why do people feel they have to kneel for the National Anthem at this point? I don't understand. When Colin Kaepernick did it, he did it as a sign of protest. He did it because everybody else stood for the National Anthem. He is kneeling for the National Anthem. First, he was sitting, but he is kneeling. Part of his silent protest to his way of speaking up, which, of course, doesn't make sense, but speaking up against police brutality, and the treatment in general of blacks in this country and the history of that treatment. And at first, when he talked about it, he said, I don't want to stand for, you know, for a flag that represents this, that, and that. It really wasn't as specific as it became later when he more specifically said about police brutality and that type of thing. People didn't like it, of course. But by the way, to me, what Colin Kaepernick did, even though I prefer to stand for the national anthem, but what Colin Kaepernick did was an act of courage because you risk giving up something in that act because people didn't like it. Honestly, guys, why are people kneeling now? What he was doing then was a call to something. He was trying to call people's attention to something, to this issue of the treatment of blacks in the country vis-a-vis police and police brutality. Attention has been called, (laughs) right? Attention has been called. So when people are kneeling For the national anthem, why are they kneeling is what I want to know. Are they protesting the same thing? Are they making that same statement? I don't understand. And maybe this is just my ignorance, so it could be that too. Do they want us to be aware that there's something going on with race in America? Because I think we're kind of aware of it now. I think even some of the most, you know, closed-eyed people, sleepy-eyed people on racism I think the George Floyd thing pretty much woke a lot of people up. So I'm confused as to the purpose of this. Because if everybody's doing it, why the fuck are we even playing the national anthem? And that's a good question anyway. Why the fuck do we play the national anthem before a a sporting event? It doesn't make sense. And if everybody's against it, why, why don't we just stop playing it? I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. And what it becomes to me even putting like Black Lives Matter on a basketball floor, which, okay, thank you very much, I guess, especially, I don't know. I don't I don't know why that needs to be there or whatever. It, you, and the reason why I say this, it, it becomes performative social justice to me. It turns the issue of social justice, which to me is getting um, reform. It's getting laws changed. You know, it's calling attention to something for the purpose of change. But performative social justice, to me, is just virtue signaling. It's just sloganeering. You may as well be in NASCAR and have all those stickers on your car. It's pretty much what it is, you know, as far as I'm concerned. It loses its meaning to me. It doesn't feel like it has purpose to me. It feels empty. And what I'm concerned um, is that, you know, in many ways it misconstrues, you know, a lot of the meanings of that. And it takes away the power of what an actual protest is. If everybody's kneeling, what power is there in kneeling? It becomes powerless. It doesn't mean anything. You're just doing it because everybody else is doing it. What does it mean? Colin Kaepernick has something to lose. You know? Now you have something to lose if you don't kneel. (laughs) You know, if you actually say, you know what? I think I'll stand for the National Anthem. I think I would like to show the flag some respect. Sorry, call me if I'm wrong, but if someone says that, now they're they're on the outs, which is amazing to me. You Um... And then the other side of it, besides the performative uh, virtue signaling thing that's going on, is I'm concerned, like, the, okay, there's this stuff happening in Portland right now, and I I honestly don't know the details of it because, unfortunately, we have such a shitty national news these days, it's hard to get any straight story on it. You get glimpses of it. And I haven't gone down a rabbit hole yet and really seen what's going on. I've seen glimpses of it, you know, about – Federal troops being sent down there and everything. But I just don't trust the when I hear it in these little clips of what's going on. So I got to do more work on that. But howsomever, as my parents, as my mom used to say, howsomever. I do know that it has gone beyond just the issues of protesting in the wake of the George Floyd thing. People in solidarity showing that they want some real change to happen. And this kind of stuff to me is not performative social justice. People out there marching and being angry and all that, that, that's real like protest to try to get something. <laughs> it was like a wall of moms <laughs> or something that was marching, which is hilarious, you know, a wall of moms. Um, but uh, what was going on there, too, is uh, there was some arson that was happening at a federal building. And supposedly the story is federal troops were there to make sure that didn't happen. I don't think that's true. I think uh, Trump was just being an asshole when he sent his federal troops, but that's their story. Whatever. But the fact that there is arson going on in federal buildings, to me, okay, this is a different issue. Wanting to destroy federal buildings is different than asking for change. I'm sorry. They're just different issues. There's a different agenda. That is more of an anarchist agenda when people just want to tear down the whole system. And by the way, if you want to tear down the whole system and, you know, burning down a building, a federal building like that, to me, is an indication of that. And if you're on that side, if you want to do that, fine. State your objectives. That's what you want to do. I don't think everybody that is protesting in the wake of the George Floyd incident probably agrees with that. Even Martin Luther King did not want to tear down the whole system. He wanted to reform the system and change it and want a real change in it, but not by (laughs) tearing it all down, you know. So I think the people that have that agenda, my concern on that is that it is what I call hijacking black pain. And what I mean by that, it is taking advantage of the real black pain that has been caused in this country, especially with police brutality and what black people have experienced with that. And it's generational pain as well. And the outpouring of emotions because of that, you know, especially seeing the George Floyd thing and the protests that came out of that and the purity of those protests and wanting this to stop and all that stuff. People that have other agendas to me can hijack this black pain And have their other agendas met And I believe Anarchy is one of those agendas That's just my opinion on it I'm not saying I have no opinions about You know Any specific groups Or that type of thing I just know There's a lot of white people Out there Burning down shit And it's not black people Doing it <laughs> And I question What the fuck that is I have a lot of questions About that So There you go That's my way in Alright guys Um Al Roker's coming up. You look so much better in person, is his book. And uh, hopefully we'll have (laughs) a bit of a light conversation for you. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life, with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All
2: right, welcome back, everybody. It's such a joy and a pleasure to have one of, I mean,
1: he's an institution in television. There's really no other way to put it. I was trying to find descriptors. But there's no other way to put it. He is a legend, a living legend, from NBC, uh, Today's show, NBC News, and his new book, You Look So Much Better in Person, Al Roker. Al, welcome to Black
3: on the Air. Well, thank you, Larry. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, too. You know, I've been such a big fan of yours. I, I met you years ago when I was producing a, the a Whoopi show in New York, and yep. you helped us out on one of our promos. You were so nice. Your whole team has always been great. I've you know, been on the show and everything. But who's not a fan of Al Roker, is my question now.
3: Uh, I can think of any number of people. A, everybody who watches Good Morning America, you know, and CBS no. this morning. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it's all good. My wife, my wife is heckling me in the background. So yeah. You know, uh, it, what's funny is, you know, we're both been on. we a lot of times we're on live at the same time at yeah. home. Um uh, And and she wants to give me a hard time, but she can't because I'm her tech support.
2: So. <laughs> And is she still at ABC
3: News? She's still at ABC News, doing the uh, uh, 2020 Nightline, Good Morning yeah. America. They just did a heck of a, a special on Juneteenth, uh, yeah. and, and it was so. So you know, we're both at home, you know, fighting over the Wi-Fi. It's just like the rest <laughs> of America.
1: So you both have to produce from home. So are you really being her producer?
3: Well, not so much her producer mm. as much as like kind of getting her studio set up. Right, you know, right. I set the lights, get the cameras. Her, 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 her cameras, as and, and mine is too, are iPhones. And right. so get that done. You know, there have been some times there have been some problems, and I'm on the phone with the ABC tech people getting yeah. her stuff together. But, you know, it's, uh, it's all good because it then leaves a, a warm feeling in her heart toward me, uh, <laughs> which may result in other things. So, Who, knows?
2: Yeah. Who knows?
1: Who knows? Who knows? Especially during COVID. You never know, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys are such a nice couple, you know, you're so cute, you know. Oh, I mean, thank I've, you. I've always thought about you guys, you know. You're,
3: yeah, I have married up. There's no question.
1: That's the way to be, man. I I'm, Unfortunately, I'm divorced, but I am not mad at being married up, you know. No, um, no. Married it's... up and marrying up. I understand that, too. You know? Yes. Oh, both yes. Of those, both of those are good, you know? <laughs> How are you doing with the whole COVID thing? Are you back in the studio now? I've seen no. some back there, but I feel like you're not quite there, right?
3: No, I'm not. I'm old, so I get a pass. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to. Besides, yeah, look, the one advantage to being 65 or older was you got those cheaper senior citizens tickets at the movies. Well, <laughs> yeah. nobody's going to the movies, so and, so at least I, you know I don't have to come into the studio. And quite frankly, they can only hold but so many people now because you know, I mean, the, the Comcast folks came in and measured and, you know, we only have a couple of camera people. So I'm fine working yeah. from home, you know, and look, we're all blessed that we can do that. that we have the, yeah. we have the privilege of being able to do that because, you know, you know, for all these healthcare workers and the sanitation workers, the janitors, the yeah. you know, bus drivers, grocery store workers, all those folks who make sure we can stay home, you know, don't have that luxury. So, you know, uh, uh, no matter what, we're, uh, I'm in great shape and, and, and yeah. know it and appreciate it.
1: Yeah, people are on the front lines um, really taking the brunt of some of this. I, I would think just from stress alone, you know, yeah. it's uh, such a stressful thing. My, my niece is, works in an ER, you know, and, and she's pregnant right now. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> how much stress can you possibly oh, take? My- with- gosh she seems to be she other than some migraine headaches you know she seems to be holding up pretty well oh. she's, she's amazing yeah god bless her yeah my hat goes off to all of these people what's been the biggest adjustment for you during this time period has it made you readjust things i i, I asked this question because reading your book you know it's interesting to see your perspective over you know your life and career and everything have you had uh like different thoughts about things and that you now that covid is hit? you know being at home all the time where you maybe you're a little more grateful for things
3: or see things differently? or If there's any silver lining in mm-hmm. something that's killed over 143,000 Americans mm. and, and over 4 million people infected it, just in this country alone, um, it is the fact that we didn't have distractions when Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd happened. Because mm-hmm. normally when something like this happens, you know, work happens, yeah. family, life, you know? And and there was nothing to go to. There was nowhere to go. Right. so There was no looking away from this. Yeah. And, and and I think it was this oh my God moment for America. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we saw all these people in the streets and I'm not, how old are you, Larry? I'm,
1: God, I always forget. Uh, 58, I'll be 59 this year.
3: Okay, so I'm a little older than you. So I, I was in high school when you know, the, the riots and all the civil rights stuff was happening. Yeah. And, and this seems different, you know, there's this diverse group of people. And I thought maybe it was just me. And then I got to interview uh, John Lewis just before he passed. And mm-hmm. and he said it gave him hope. Mm-hmm. This was different than the, the 60s. Uh, well, there were some white people marching, but he said this was, he believes more now more than ever we've come too far. And we're not going back.
4: I feel like in the 60s
1: movement, there was a, I'll call it a sympathy bridge, you know, where people had sympathy for the movement. But I think for the first time, people are having empathy, you know. And I think, you know, the difference between sympathy and empathy is huge, as we know, you know, to just feeling sorry for us and actually feeling someone's pain and experiencing that. And, And I think it was the George Floyd thing that almost it happens in real time when people were watching it. honestly you know the the video felt that way because most people watched it you know that whole length of it so it had that feeling to where you know with right around the time you were born of course the the, uh emmett till thing happened was in 1955 or something like that right and that was different because they had pictures like in the magazines well in the black magazines certainly like jet and ebony they had the pictures of the open casket and black people could empathize with that and that kind of Started the modern civil rights movement, but there was still that that gap between I think most white people I'll say you know to not be able yeah. to truly empathize with the feeling that the black community has about that issue.
3: You know, I don't know about you, but I started after George Floyd. You know, like the next couple of days, I started getting calls from yeah. you white know, <laughs> right friends and coworkers. Are you okay? Is everything all right? Yeah, I mean, I'd never I like yeah, yeah. How how are you? You know. I mean, you could sense that this mm-hmm. was different. Uh, and so to bring a book out during all of this, not just you know this social uh, upheaval and and sea change and attitudes, but then the pandemic and a a glow, you know uh, uh, an economic downturn, you mm-hmm. know I thought, well, I don't know if this is what people want to read, but yeah. here we go.
1: have you ever felt a responsibility ever as? A black person on television because remember when we were kids it was huge to be black on television you know when Diane Carroll had that show you know where people like boop, boop. You, you
3: say that I, I'm going to yeah. show you what one of the things that's propping up my my phone right now
2: yeah wow see I love that you I love here's what I love about
1: Al Roker everybody he just showed me a lunchbox said this isn't video this is the video is just for us by the way people are just hearing this normally. The douchey showbiz move is you show your eight x ten that's you with know, your picture with them that's not, He shows the lunchbox, the Julia lunchbox. How awesome is that?
2: Where? How long have you had a Julia lunchbox for Christ's sake? Uh,
3: about twenty years. Somebody picked it up for me, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I had a huge crush on Diane Carroll, and I was oh, you <laughs> and me, both. I, absolutely, I, and I, I got to interview her about. Three years ago before she passed and it's like i'm sitting across from diane carroll I'm like, i can't believe this
2: and it doesn't go away right like that no. feeling that you had you
3: no know? but to yeah. your point about seeing people i like he, i grew up in new york and right. and on television was this on channel five uh which is the fox station at the time metro media we had bill mccrary uh, on W.A.B.C., you had Melba Tolliver and you had John Johnson and and Geraldo Rivera, you know, this this melting pot of, of folks. You know, w, on W.N.B.C., you had Sue Simmons. You know, right. um, so, you know, those people, you know, are, I mean, you, when you saw somebody who looked like you, it was a big deal.
2: Right.
3: I, I, I feel like
1: the Today Show never quite got the credit of having Brian Gumbel as one of the hosts, you know, in the early eighties, that was huge, you know? And, uh, I'm hoping that now there can be some maybe retroactive credit for that, you know, uh, both for the, what Brian did, I mean, because people have to have this in context and I talked about this at the correspondence center where when, when we were kids, a black man couldn't even be a quarterback on a football team, you know? And, And in your book, you even talk about the difference between, like, when you talk about being second banana or top banana and that kind of thing, and the responsibility of delivering the news and the work, which is funny. And I know what you mean behind it and everything, you know. But, Brian, and part of it, too, make no mistake, because, you know, Al Roker's no fool, you know, you don't suffer racism gladly, too. You know, you had your own run ins with it and you had your own way of dealing with it. And knowing that the people who delivered the news, were trusted to be these usually white men who looked a certain way. You know, they were yeah. the authority figure both on set and in people's living rooms. And for Bryant Gumbel to be that authority figure next to a white woman, by the
3: way. Yes, yes. <laughs> America's sweetheart, Jane Polly, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, Bryant doesn't get, I think, enough credit. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, because what, what's amazing about him, and still is, you know, when you watch him on real sports, yeah. is that he can bore down on, on the minutest of details. And yeah. yet there's this, he can also have this lightness. And when he laughs, it is, it is one of the most joyous things to behold. Right. Uh, but, but he's one of the smartest guys I know. Absolutely. And, you know, had to really, I mean, he, and not only being black, but coming out of sports, yeah. you know, I mean, he had twice as much to prove. And I think more than than proved it, yeah, he did
2: sports here in Los Angeles,
3: right, so, uh, right, you know, uh, at k n b c and then to be plucked yeah. to do the Today show was like, what whoa what what the yeah. you know uh so you know i mean he the, the, and, and now he's living his best life, and God bless him.
1: <laughs> exactly uh, so what what got you to want to write this sort of book right now al you you were saying you wonder if people want to read it what?" What, what was itching for you to, to do this sort of thing?
3: Well, Larry, to, to be honest, I wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. I had I'd spoken at a, 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 a conference. I spoke at an NABJ conference.
2: A National and, Association and, of and, Black Journalists.
3: Right. Yeah. And, and this uh, editor came up to me, this woman, Krishan Trotman, who's mm. uh, an African-American uh, editor at, uh, at Hachette one of the publishers, and right. said, you know, I, I listened to your, your your story, and you're talking, and I, I think people need to hear your thoughts about work, and mm-hmm. would you want to write a book about it? And I was like, not particularly. <laughs> I'm not quite sure anybody really wants to read that, but I'd love to have lunch and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the more we talked, I thought, okay, you know, let me do this, especially as as I'm advancing in years, I'm going to remember less and less. So at least if I write it down, (laughs) somebody's got a record of it. You know, look there's grandpa. Oh yeah. Right. He did. He did do these things. Doesn't, you wouldn't know it to look at him now, but um, in fact, I would say none of the books I've written were books that I thought, Oh, I really want to write this other than oddly the murder mysteries, because I love murder mysteries. And so when I had a chance to do that, but all the other ones, we're we're kind of like people came and said, "Would you like to do a book about X?" And I'm, okay, why not?
2: Yeah, I, I think because you're in the middle of it,
1: and I think kind of when I know this is such a, an awkward thing to say, so I apologize. But you know, when you're a big star <laughs> or a legend, like like you, or in your place, I, big star isn't what it is. It's really you've been there for so long. I think you forget. Like how much people really are interested in you, you know, like people really honestly are like they actually do want to know about you, like many people go, ah, people don't want to know about that stuff, you know they want to be entertained and everything, but I was fascinated just to hear the beginnings, you know, and there's a lot of uh nerds out there who love to hear the nerd point of view that no, I wasn't a jock this, I was a nerd <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, oh my gosh, I mean i would have today I would have been in IT at, at high school. I would have been right. but But back then, you know, uh, uh, multimedia was a 16 millimeter projector yeah. or a slideshow or something like that. There, there, no, there's no PowerPoint. And so I was part of the AV club. Yeah, uh, I was the main club at high
2: school. Yeah, I, I we... Feel like, mm.
3: and, and this was our gang sign. I you know it's video, but <laughs> it was, it was, this was it. AV, you know? And as we... I'll just see the gang
1: air, sign, you guys, in A and B just... Just for you AV gang members out there to know that you've been, uh, you've been <laughs> signed up. Right, now.
4: <laughs>
1: I think they're gathering somewhere, some square.
3: <laughs> when the cribs and the bloods fight, yeah. the AV squad tapes it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. With the old oh. image orthicon tube television. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> the, the, the turret lenses, but you know, and, and so I mean, I was always interested in TV. I, I but, right. Larry, I tell you, God God is my witness. I had no interest in being on TV. I was going to be a writer, a producer. I wanted to be you, uh, basically. (laughs) And and, and, and I had a department chairman in college who put me up for a job doing weekend weather at the end of my sophomore year. And I got the job. And I thought, okay, I'll just do this until a real job comes along. And Mm -hmm. I just kept getting other jobs doing TV weather. I thought, okay, well, I guess the the stone is set.
2: Yeah, and it seemed like you. uh,
1: I think you manifested a lot of that, also. You know, um, like you'll give advice like "Don't quit your day job," that you said Willie gave you, or you know, "Don't plan." But I'm like, I don't, mm, I don't know, Roker. I feel like you've manifested a lot of your life and a lot of your happiness, and you know, where the places that you wanted to be. Like, for instance, New York. You know, it's clear that you always wanted to come home to New York, like. You, you can you relate the story about being on Channel 5 where your mom couldn't find you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> to me that's
3: why you're on the
2: today show so your mom can watch
3: you. <laughs> well, here's the deal. So I get I get my first weekend weather job. Yes. It's at Channel 5 in Syracuse, New York.
4: Syracuse. We live in
3: New York City, which is like right. 280 300 miles away. Sure. So I call my mother to tell her I've got this job in television. And right. she says, oh, that's wonderful. What channel is it? I said, well, Mom, it's Channel 5, but that's Channel 5 here in Syracuse. You can't see that. She goes, oh, yes, I can. We have Channel 5 here in New York. I said, no, no, Mom, it, it doesn't reach. Goes, it must. You're wrong. I, I'm going to go to the TV right now and turn it on. And she goes, did I hear Channel 5 come on? I said, but, Mom, it's a different 5. Well, a f- well, how can that be? A five is a five. It's like a bad Appen and Costello. You know, <laughs> yes. who's who's on third? I don't know. Third base. You know, I get, Mom, no, you cannot see me. What time are you on? <laughs> Six o'clock. You know, I just, how and then just she called later. I didn't see you. You can't see me. So when I got the job at WNBC in New York, Channel 4, mm-hmm. not only did I move down one channel, but my mother could finally see me.
2: Very nice. I'm sure she was very happy for you,
3: you know, look, we all do things. I think a lot of what we are, what drives us is, is mm. trying to make our parents proud. Uh, yeah. they, that's, that's what my son is doing. And and so, you know, the I, it wasn't, I didn't want to get to New York so much because it was New York. Yeah. I want to get there because it was home. You know? yeah. I mean, New York makes, yeah. being New York was a bonus.
2: Yeah. And uh, I love all the you know that
1: your book is a combination of your recollections you know in the business but also you you kind of uh signposted with these kind of life lessons too which is kind of nice you know
3: yeah um, we like to, like to call them altruisms altruisms yeah fact, my editor my editor came up with that yeah
1: yes <laughs> yeah, see i feel like that is said depending on the reaction to
2: altruisms <laughs>
1: Altruism gets a big laugh and applause. Sometimes you forget to mind. give the credit. Sometimes you just forget, you know. But if there's a space in there, hey, hey, I, let me give credit where credit is due, you guys. <laughs> I like altruism. I think you could start a whole series like Sniglets, you know, with their altruism. Yes.
3: Yeah. You know? Yeah. It'll be could be one of those those bathroom books. You know, three hundred sixty five altruisms. You know.
1: Completely. You know. I'm sure there's many that are probably for the bathroom. In fact, you know,
3: <laughs> I'm going to cut you in on that.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, well, can we go through some of the altruisms and sure. just visit some of it? Um, um, this is one of the early ones, I think, in your book. Assumptions are not your friend. Now, I just talked about manifesting, and I think when you're talking about that. I think you were speaking about um, setting goals or trying to see yourself in five years. That's what it was. You talked about that. Okay, so what do you
2: mean by assumptions are not your friend?
3: Well, you know, here's the thing. You can plan. You can do all your planning, everything you want to do. But, okay, let's say you're making your plan out in January. going to mm-hmm. do this, 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 and this. Oh, but you, you do know that in in six months, there's going to be a global pandemic, the worst of which we haven't seen in over 100 years. Oh, and by the way, there's also going to be um, uh, an economic meltdown. Oh, and just to add it, finish it off, there's going to be uh, an upheaval and a civil rights movement that's like that we haven't seen uh, since the 1960s. Um, mm-hmm. How are those plans going so far for you? You know, it, it, you just... So my, my thing is, you know, just, just be open. Be mm-hmm. open to to what's going to happen because, you know, you can plan all you want, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, is there? There's a saying that goes, "Man imposes, Allah disposes." You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you you've, you've got to be ready to to go with the flow, and uh, assuming that everything's going to work out is is not the way to go.
1: Was there in your career? what what, what would have been the biggest disruptor to where? to something that you thought was going to happen.
3: Well, yeah, I, I wrote about this in the book. I, uh, My career could have taken a major change. I was in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And and the news director calls me into his office, and he says, look, uh, I think you're a great talent. I just don't think you're cut out to do the weather. I, I'd like you to do the movie reviews and kind of be the man about town, uh, because I think that you're better suited to that. Because I, I, besides doing weather, I was doing feature stories, too. Mm-hmm. And he says think about it over the weekend and let me know. And I kept thinking about it. I thought, I, I, I think I'm a pretty good weather person, but I can't, I can't do it. I can't make the, ch- I'm not going to make the change. Maybe I'm going to get fired. Anyway, I went in that Monday and this is of course before cell phones. and everything. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, uh, the news director got fired, uh, that on, on Monday. Wow. And so I didn't have to make the choice or, or he left. Uh, uh, but you know, so, but I, I was prepared to play that hand because I, I just thought, you know what, I, I think I'm good. I, and, and if I do this, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reach what I think is my potential. And it also set me up to meet the person who would really change my professional life, which was Willard Scott, mm-hmm. you know, because not long after that, out of the blue, he called me, let's go to dinner. And, uh, one of the most, you know, and I don't know if you've had somebody like this, that, could theoretically be viewed—you could be viewed as their competitor—and
2: uh-huh.
3: uh, yet they are about as open and generous yeah. uh, as they can be. And that's Willard, you know. Um, it's amazing. T- t- took me out of it under his wing. Um, kind of took an interest in me. All uh, you know, he left Washington to go to the Today Show. Mm-hmm. I moved from uh, Washington to go to Cleveland at the NBC station there. And then I came to New York and, and he, he was always giving, would always do stuff to help me. And, and, and even to the point where toward I was filling in for him and doing the weekend today show. Yeah. And he went to them and said, look, I'm going to step back, but uh-huh. you'd be crazy if you don't put Roker in that job. And, uh, you know, and you know, he didn't have to do that, Yeah, but, you know, and he's a, you know, son of the South and all that. Yeah, He literally, I consider him, I really do consider him like my second dad. I mean, and wow. to the point where if my father were alive today, they'd be the same age, you know. Uh, and, and they got along really well, uh, you know, yeah. the, the few times they met. Fate happens, things happen uh, that, that change your life. And and Willard is one of those people.
2: It's interesting,
1: a dinner changed your life, almost more yeah. than anything else. A dinner yeah. with the guy who reached out. You know, and it's interesting uh, did that happen in the 70s or the early 80s? When
3: that that was the 70s. It was, was, it was, 70s. 90, it was 1977. 76. Yeah. And
1: where is, where is Willard from when you mentioned the South?
3: Willard, Willard's from uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was going to be, he was, he was, he was going to go, he went to divinity school.
2: Yeah. And then he was Bozo the Clown, right? Yeah. yeah
3: he was Bozo the Clown and created Ronald McDonald.
2: Yeah. So, he he should have gotten a piece of that.
3: I know but he's done okay.
2: Yeah, he's done okay. Yeah, I I just think it's a great story of, uh, you know, because
1: it's kind of an interracial love story, too, in some ways, you know, where here's this guy, as you say, this guy from the South, he reaches out to this new black weatherman on TV who could, as you say, could be his competition and takes you under his arm. I mean, such a generous person of... you know, in any situation to want to do that. Was he kind of a mentor by nature, that type of thing?
3: You know, I don't know if he was or not. Uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I, and I think in a sense he saw, I mean, I may be reading too much into it, but, but he saw a little bit of himself and me. Uh-huh. Uh, and he had girls, he didn't have a son. <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: I, I don't know that he mentored a lot of people. And, and it's right. funny, you know, nobody called it mentoring back
2: then. Yeah, the yeah. yeah right,
3: right, you know, somebody yeah. took you. I'm going to take you under my wing. You know, kind right. of thing. I'm going to show you the I'm going to show you the ropes. You know, like. <laughs>
1: like like you were his ward, Robin.
3: Yeah, some. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we would slide down poles. It was great. Yes. It was Fantastic. Although <laughs> you and Willard
2: sliding down poles. Oh man. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay here's another altruism and this had an interesting story attached to it Uh, if you're gonna
3: cry know how to cry it it was my first job Uh i'm working in syracuse my news director was this rough gruff guy andy brigham um uh, he passed not too long ago but he would chew people out i mean like royally and the audio (laughs) booth was right next to his nickname was jaws and so i thought it would be really funny to play the theme from jaws when he starts (laughs) chewing somebody out Everybody else did, too, until Andy's door came slamming open, and I can't repeat what he said. But, I mean, it was like a Roadrunner cartoon in that (laughs) I looked around, and there were just puffs of smoke and a couple of chairs spinning. Everybody was gone. (laughs) And he just bores in on me, and I can feel my face getting, you know, hot. And now I'm thinking, no, don't cry, don't cry. I started crying, and he's like, oh, gee, oh, oh. And he hustles me out to the back parking lot. And so puts you, were, his arm you were
2: straight up blubbering, blubbering. Yes,
3: I'm, I'm like, <laughs> and he, he's like, and he gets me to the back parking lot. And he kind of calms me down and says, "Look, you know, you can't be ragging me in front of everybody else. You know, it's, mm. it's just not good for morale or esprit de corps. You know." And I, and, and here I am. I'm the one. I'm the jerk who was making fun of him, and he's consoling me. <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. Uh and, and but I, I think, especially today with everything that's going on, I think holding stuff in, being stoic, keeping that yeah. stiff upper lip, I don't think that's I think I think those days are over. You know, yeah. now I don't think you need to be crying every day, but I think if, if there's some emotion and you're with a, a group of supportive workers, I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing that. I mean Craig right. has cried on the on the air, you know, Hoda. We've all you know gotten choked up about certain things and i right. don't think there's anything wrong with showing that
2: yeah didn't uh, you said
1: your parents were Bahamian and jamaican where they, yes. they did they show a lot of emotion were they out
3: you, with their you know thing? it's interesting you you bring that up because my mom was a very loving person but she was a little more stoic. my dad was was the emotional guy yeah. you know he yeah he hugged people he kissed people he'd cry you know yeah. if, if something was was i mean i remember you know my parents lost a child uh, yeah. uh, a couple of a couple of weeks after it was born i remember just openly crying you know and yeah. uh, you know when when martin luther king was killed you yeah. know crying you know just you know he was very and it's funny because i thought all you know guys especially black guys were like that and i'd go to these like family gatherings and i'd go to give my uncle champ a kiss he's like whoa whoa, whoa! <laughs> hey buddy you know right. uh, you know but that's that's how i was raised that's the guy who raised me
1: yeah yeah um i remember years ago you did that really loving tribute to your dad i never forgot that thank you it was very it was very nice um Here's one, you know, because you you talk about pulling that prank, and this one's interesting because there's more backstory to it. We say a spoonful of humor makes everything go down. You know, is uh, this the story in Cleveland that, that uh, yes. this to, right? Okay,
3: uh, we were I was working uh, stage at the station, Channel Three in Cleveland, with an anchor man named Doug Adair and his wife Mona Scott, and they were co-anchors. Mm-hmm. And our station was downtown, and at that point in the uh, late '70s, early '80s. Cleveland, downtown Cleveland wasn't a great spot. Um, (laughs) And, and, uh, our man was going to his car and there was a homeless guy. Everybody knew him, older, older black guy. And he came up behind Doug with a rolled up newspaper and bopped him on the back of the head and ran off. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day, Doug, you would have thought Doug had been, you know, physically assaulted, beaten and left for dead. Basically, this guy did what every one of us wanted to do, but Mm -hmm. hadn't had the guts. Um, and he's telling people around the station about it. anyway, it's now six o'clock. We're we're on the airlock. And his his wife, his co-host, Mona, says, Well and now it's time for and before she can finish, she goes, Mona, I just have to stop you for a second. Al, I don't know if you heard, but last night, after the eleven o'clock news, one of your people attacked me. <sighs> and and you know, that's the one of those time stand still moments. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's like the matrix. Right?
3: Yeah, it's like and you're like looking at things going by.
2: One of your and people.
3: One of your people attacked me. Wow. And I'm trying to decide, do I, am I outraged? Am I, and I just look and I say, Doug, why would a weatherman attack you? And mm-hmm. then just turn to my single camera and, and started the weather. Right. Well, the switchboard lit up. You know, people were outraged. You know, he was suspended and then demoted to a reporter and eventually left. Uh, And, you know... Did
1: that that line get a laugh when you said it? Because that's important.
3: Well, not so much. (laughs) Let me me put it this way. The Mm -hmm. audience appreciated it because they all, everybody, a lot of these people mentioned, you know, how much they appreciated what I had said. Right. Uh, Because I I registered the line. Yes. I acknowledged what he said. But I wasn't going to, in a sense, dignify it.
2: Yes, you almost
1: exposed it more for what it was by kind yeah. of undercutting it with that joke, which yeah had more and, ridicule in it than uh, gracious humor, let's say.
3: Yeah, I, and, and so I, I wonder, and I have thought about this in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the last since, since having written the book, and with everything that's going on, would I have done the same thing today? I, I don't know that I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think the era we're in right now calls for more.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So you know you, we're we're victims of our our moments, um, and so I, I cho- that was the choice I made. I don't know if I'd make that today. I, I might I might be a little more uh, vociferous in my in my response.
1: It's an interesting uh, take you have because I think it's really a layered issue. There's so much in there now. Yeah you could probably write a whole book about that issue because how do you deal with that type of thing? And, and also, how, is there a way to deflect things without inflaming things and
3: which things are worthy of that and which things aren't, you know? Yeah, I think you got to pick your battles. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's the end game? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find it interesting that the guy, the, the black birder, uh, didn't want to press charges against this woman. Yeah. The DA went ahead and did it. Yeah. And, and, and I, I appreciate, you know, the, the, his, his position,
2: right? Um, me too. you know, so, uh, you
3: know, I, I don't know that everything calls for a flamethrower. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't.
2: Women, of course, have had to deal with this for,
1: you know, for so long where they've had to either use humor or deflect in some ways, you know, have to be contortionist, verbal contortionist with, with the ways they had to deflect
2: men being inappropriate, you know.
3: Yeah yeah so i you know we're we're at this time now where you know I think everything's a pendulum, and yeah. I think we're looking do i mean do you cancel everything uh uh i I don't know you know i mean it's like the the, the statues you
2: know mm-hmm.
3: uh I, I don't know that you get rid of them, but uh, maybe you move them and put them in a place where there's uh context you know uh yeah. but it's a, it, we're at an interesting we're at an interesting point right now.
1: Yeah, I always love how some of the most ignorant people are suddenly interested in history lessons, you know? You know, it's like, where were you when history is actually
3: being done, you know? Yeah, you know, and and look, I I get people, you know, Robert E. Lee, this and that. But, you know, you go to Germany, you don't see statues statues of Hitler, you know? I mean, he lost, okay, you know? To the victor go the spoils and the statues.
1: Yeah, even at Laker games, you know, we have banners up because the Lakers won the championships. Not losing banners, you know. <laughs> See, I got to bring it back to sports and to my Lakers, Al. Whatever the side.
3: <laughs> I must tell you, I'm very excited. I here uh, and here's the thing, and I, I write about this in the book that anybody really of any import that I know is mm-hmm. because of Deborah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like wh- why do why do I know Magic Johnson? Because Deborah's friends with Cookie. Okay. Awesome, uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, we got invited to their their, their 60th birthday uh, in, yeah. in, in like over and wherever it was. It I was saw the
1: picture. I saw the picture to that, but I never saw an invitation. Yes.
3: Well, uh, I, <laughs> I I did not. I, I got to. Go, I was invited. I couldn't go because I had uh, I had a deteriorating hip. I mean, I was oh. on a on a on a cane and a crutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Deborah went and never missed me. I mean, it was just it was sad. Yeah. However, uh, the the ladies got this really gorgeous Gucci uh, bag as as yeah. their thing. The guys, the guys got a Magic Johnson jersey from each point wow. in his career, signed. No way. Signed.:
4: signed. Wait, Magic
2: was giving out gifts at his uh, birthday thing. Yes. What? A, I mean, come on, man. Who's better than Magic? Seriously. He's magic, those, those are my Lakers, you know. It's funny, uh, uh, unless I missed it, but did you have um, how, how long have you never
1: been married now?
3: We we are going to be married 25 years in September.
1: Oh, congratulations!
2: Yeah,
3: thank you. Yeah, Is thank there- you. So, the uh, you know, and uh, you know, and her, it's funny, she hates when I tell this, but she wanted to be married, uh, because this would actually. Maybe I better not tell this story because then it gives her out her age and she'll kill me. Never mind. Uh, forget it. Wait, it's a five-year story. You
1: can't tease the audience like that. <laughs> Al, there is a way to tell it without without doing the bad thing that you don't want to do. I, I, and I won't I, even I, say what the bad thing is. I won't repeat it because I, people I, may have forgotten by now.
3: I can't because if I do, if people were listening, they, they could do the math and they would figure out Al. exactly how old you are. I don't know
2: if you realize this, but black don't crack. You
3: know, I know. Oh no. She uh, looks spectacular. Okay. I'm going to go ahead. So she wanted to be married before our 30, her, her 35th birthday. And we made it. it by four days. Uh, her birthday birthday's the 20th. We got married on September 16th. Yeah. So, so, uh, but with COVID and all this, I don't know what, you know, she's going to be 60. I'm going to be, uh, I'm turning 66 and she's going to, you know, we're going to be married 25 years. And I don't know what we're going to do, you know, because, you know, we can't have a big party, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by all this stuff changing. And and you can make all these plans. And now you have to, you know, our daughter is a, a junior or just finished her junior year in Paris. She's been going to school there. She was mm-hmm. actually going to go to uh, uh, USC. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't going to accept her. They couldn't accept her in freshman year because they didn't have room, but she was guaranteed sophomore year. Anyway, she did a, a transfer program with them. Uh, in Paris, and loved it so much, she ended up staying. Uh, but we have not seen her since since January, yeah, because yeah. we can't go there, and she's uh, afraid if she comes here, she won't be let back in.
1: So yeah, probably more afraid of coming here than being there at this point. Yeah,
3: man. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, it's uh, because I don't know about you, but I'm 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 tired of the Zoom parties.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's
3: enough. I, okay, I've, I'm done.
1: I haven't done that in well. I don't mind. I actually like the uh, these interviews because you can see the
2: person, which is kind of yeah. Nice.
3: Well, that's that's okay, but you know, yeah. the, the, and if I see one more person with the with the virtual background, it's like stop. <laughs> it. Okay, we know you're not at the beach. What do yeah. you stop?
1: got a messy office virtual background.
3: That's very good. See, that's believable. That's see, believable.
1: Go. That's the whole key is believability. Al. I've been trying to tell people that. That's, that's, uh, that's one of the chapters in my book coming up. <laughs> you just got to get people to believe you is, is the name of the book. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you Al, just got to believe. Yes. Give me your Al
1: Roker, either uh, reflection or advice in having a long successful marriage. And especially from two people, two very successful people, two people who work very hard. So your jobs are very demanding and you have kids. Well, what advice can you give people, or maybe a reflection on on what kind of made that special?
3: Well, I, I think you know, it's like anything worthwhile. It's like your job. It's like uh, your kids. It's it's work. You know, it's it's yeah. not always going to be fun and 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 romantic. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's like look, you like sausage. Yeah, I love sausage. <laughs> I don't want to see how sausage is made. You know.
2: Uh, I wasn't but, sure what that was going <laughs> actually.
3: <laughs> but I brought it home. Uh, right,
4: yes. but, but
3: you know, I think I think that the uh, the secret, at least for us, mm-hmm. is that you know I think we we complement each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, on paper, Deborah has said this many times. On paper, we really shouldn't be together. You know, yeah. I mean, just you know, just from I mean, and look, this is this is, and I convinced her. That yeah. listen, you can your friends marry these good looking guys. They start to <laughs> they start to fall apart. Yeah. You know, this looks yeah. They 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 you know the, the bases and they're you know, they're getting the, the midlife crisis cards and things like that. Yeah. You marry somebody who looks like me. First of all, we're eternally grateful. And secondly, we can look better. You know, I yeah. look far better now than I did twenty-five years ago. It's a miracle she married.
2: Uh, <laughs> but but well, oh, because know, women
1: project into the future. That's something yes, you say. Guys want right. to keep you right, as you are right now.
2: Yeah, women no. put you in a time machine yeah, they, they're, they're, you that, you
3: they're in for the long game. And that's right. and uh and and I think we complement each other. Like that's she's right. made me a better journalist. You know oh, she's, really. She's a terrific writer. Mm-hmm. She's a, 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 a great, you know, on camera persona, the whole everything she got it all. Uh, and I think, you know, she's helped me reach over to my more serious side and, and mm-hmm. take things a little more seriously. Uh, I, you know, she said, I've, I've helped her lighten up. And and she's got a terrific sense of humor, but she didn't, she didn't always show it on camera. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think, you know, supporting each other is, mm-hmm. is kind of the key, you know, because look, you know, it, it it's not, uh, I just gave her a card that said, it has a little banner that says, let's stay together. And then underneath the card says, because dating is really hard.
2: That's true. (laughs) Well, that's
1: awesome, man. I'm so happy for you guys. Um, Thank you. Like I said, I'm fans of both of you guys. You guys are just great. Um, And then you have your work marriages, which are, you know, uh, I would say take work in a different way, you know, and have their own. Obstacles. You you guys have such a great team over there right now. But how how hard was it like going through some of those unscreened things that we see? I mean, there's been a lot of them. You know, the the biggest one's probably the Matt Lauer situation. You know, which sure. had a lot of different layers. How, how do you how tough is it to deal with those situations when you're going to work and and you know people
2: like that sometimes become close friends and
3: family and that sort of thing. Well, it's it you know it, it's difficult. Uh, but but you you know the uh, the folks who remain, you know, pull together. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it, it's a loss. And, you know, you know you're like, you, you hate that it happens.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: it's it's the same in anybody's workplace, you know, uh, or, or family for that matter. Uh, you know, there's somebody that you're used to and then they're not there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, everybody's got to pull together and knit together to, to, to help the wound heal. And, you know if, if we didn't care about each other, uh, you could just slough it off and just move forward. But Mm -hmm. when, because you do care, that means it's even more important to put the hard work in Mm and, uh, and, and, and pull through. And, you know, and like I said, there are people who go through this day in and day out, you know, obviously pre COVID. The difference is they're, they're not going through it on TV. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, we, uh, and, and we've got, and an at the end of the day, and I firmly believe this, that the, the Today Show is the sum of its parts.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: everybody who's worked there, terrific people, and all great broadcasters in their own right. Uh, but none of us are as good as we are together. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is, is the, the strength of the show. It is a program that makes us all better. One yeah. way
1: More than any other show, because I'm, you know, part of, because of what I do, I kind of watch everything, you know. Today's show is the one I've watched the longest period of time, you know, going in and out. Um, but it always seemed like you guys, it's always been the most family-like to me, you know, the way you guys have interacted over the years,
2: you know.
3: Look, I mean, you know, how can it's almost, impo- I mean, we've all uh, been through, if not each other's marriages, you know, been yeah. there for each other. They're, the birth of almost... Uh, you know, all but everybody's children. I mean, mm-hmm. Carson came a little later, but, you know, been there for the birth of two of his, his kids. Uh, uh, Craig came a little after his children were born, but, you know, watch them grow up. Watch, uh, Hoda adopt two beautiful little girls. Wow. Savannah have, uh, two gorgeous girls. Uh, you know, I mean, Dylan's children, you know, so, yeah, you know, we, we, we've been through so much. We, uh, uh, a number of us have lost parents, you know, with the, uh, during the, the run of the show. So um and and that's you know what I gotta tell you, Larry, that I I, I remember it was, you know, my mom had passed. Mm-hmm. From the funerals at our church in, in uh, that I grew up in St. Catherine of Siena out in Queens. And looking out, and not just seeing my co anchors, but seeing my camera people and my stage manager and my uh a couple of stage hands. And you know, mm-hmm. and, and when that happens you're like you it it kinda knocks you back on your heels. You're yeah. like, wow. These people actually care. Yeah, you know?
2: absolutely.
1: This is what I'm trying to tell you, Al. We love you. <laughs> um, last thing, um, and thanks. I appreciate you taking the time for being here and everything. Uh, the book is such fun to read, by the way. Thank like, you. There's always something just really funny, I think, in every chapter. You know, whether it's your sardonic sense of humor, you know,
3: or whatever. Well, you know, listen, and I don't mean this to, to sound like a mutual. Admiration society, but coming from you, that means a lot because I'm a a huge fan of your work and your your oh, humor and and uh, I, you know I to be especially at the end of the business that you are in it's it's even harder I think you do it all and and you do it well so uh, to come to have you say it's funny uh, that means a heck of a lot
1: I appreciate that and you know I'm part of the NBC Universal family now I don't know if you know that
3: I didn't know that
1: yeah. So I'm I'm part of your family now. I've I've been with the university for a year and uh, doing something with Peacock now. um, Oh, cool! Be announcing something in the near future. That's just a little tease. tease. So I'm part of of you guys again. You know, so my first show, one of my first sitcoms, was Fresh Prince, and I worked in the office. My. Periods with NBC have, you know, have been throughout the years. So I've had a lot, of, a lot of good times there. So it's great to be
3: back at NBC Universal. That's just terrific. I've got and, an idea for a sitcom I want to talk to. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. All okay, right. Now, on that note, before we go, tell us, what do you want to do next, Alec? What is there left to do? Or do you not want to plan it? Do you just want to see what happens? Just kind yeah. of be out I'll there be- and be a receptor for things? Or do you, or do you have a, an evil plan?
3: Uh, I know. I, I wish I did. Uh, I would like to take over. you know, I like, kind of like pinky in the brain, you know, take over the world. Uh, yes. I, I, you know, I don't have a plan and that's been, and that's kind of part of the theme that runs through the book. I, I, yeah. I you know, yeah. things have come to me just happenstance or whatever the universe or God <laughs> has planned. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, uh, like I'm a big fan of animation. I've got a, a project yeah, on that sure. that uh, I can't talk about, right, but uh, coming up soon. Uh, yeah, what I love to do, uh, you know, one of the things I always remember about Willard, I don't know if you remember uh, uh, the Sandy Duncan show, Sandy. Absolutely,
2: uh, I remember that. Well,
3: Willard had a recurring role in it. He was a next door neighbor. and And they were going to spin off him and I forget the name of the woman who played his wife, uh, but they were going to be the Pools. Uh, he, uh, their last name was Pool,
1: like Joanne Burley or somebody like that. <laughs> exactly,
3: and <laughs> and the writers' strike happened, oh. and everything got thrown out, up in the air, and it never happened. Uh, and then Sandy Duncan got into the fight with NBC, and they took uh-huh. her off, and they brought her. anyway. Uh, uh, so. You know, it never happened. But I I don't, I I don't want to star in a sitcom, but I want to be involved in a sitcom because I just I, I'm such a fan of the genre. Yeah. Uh, going, going, going back to, you know, like you said, Julia, and right. you know, uh, to, to Lucy. You know, I mean.
1: And you've done a lot of cameos on shows. I've done
3: cameos. You know, I, know. And, I think you did a couple.
1: Yeah,
2: you know,
3: and I'm and I'm still a fan of the fourth. Four camera sitcom, you know. To me, yeah. It's it's the you know I always find it funny that they say, oh, you know, it that that form is dead, and yet, you know, like when my kids were you know were watching like Nickelodeon, all mm-hmm. they watch are four camera sitcoms that are made for kids. You know, they're yeah, used that's to the true. genre. That's actually they, true. <laughs> they're used to the genre, yeah. and then they get older and they can't find it, and that which yeah. is why they go back. You know, they're you know, like my, one of my kids' favorite shows. Everybody loves Raymond.
2: You know, oh, it's great show.
3: Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, but the, I think that's about the only thing I haven't done yet. Having been able to act on Broadway was a mind-blowing experience. You were in waitress. Uh, right? Yeah, I was in waitress, and yeah. and I it was like I and I, I. What did you seconds, What did you do in waitress? I was old Joe, which uh-huh. you know when you when they when your agent calls you and says, "Am I get a play?" Old Joe. You know, you're, you know, you're not the romantic lead. You're playing Old
2: You're like, wait, Joe. It, you don't want me to be
3: Stanley in Streetcar? What are you talking about?
2: Yeah.
3: Old Joe. <laughs> I know.
2: So,
3: you know, uh, uh, there was a line about, there's a line in it where he's reminiscing with, with, with Waitress. And he goes, he says, I remember making sweet love to her in the summer of, 1947 i said 47 do you come on let's move it up let's move it to 67 at least come on and they let me do it i was like 47 i know it's so funny when you get
1: older or you or you get into certain types and you read like casting descriptions sometimes you know like my agent has sent me things like i'm like, hey is this how you guys view me <laughs> like this? <laughs> Why do you think I'm right for this part? <laughs> you know? But it's like, what are you going to do, man? You know, yeah. it's, it's just... A, it's, a, it's a game. game. It's a game. As Utensil said on, on the Flintstones, it's a living. Right. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, it's so funny. I remember Seth MacFarlane was supposed to reboot the Flintstones. And uh-huh. I was always like, I wonder what that would have been like. Because... You know, God, growing up, I mean, I'm old enough to have watched the Flintstones in the first run. Yes. And, you know, uh, and of course, everybody else has seen it in syndication. But, right. you know, I've always wondered if if the Flintstones came up today. Oh, I know what I would love to ask you. And again, it goes back to being today. Sure. Here's a question.
2: Could you make Blazing Saddles today? It's a good question. Um... Probably not, probably
1: because it's race. And it, well, number one, it's directed by a white man and the N-word is in it. So people would try to cancel it. Yeah. You know, I think you could make it, but people would try to cancel it. I would be out there saying, no, 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 this is hilarious. (laughs) But once again, Blazing Saddles kind of broke the barrier for humor to kind of bust open in the first place. So because when Blazing Saddles came out, we were in a different situation like today, where you also couldn't say that before Blazing Saddles came out, so blazing Saddles almost couldn't exist in its own time, yeah you know, for like the inverse reasons of political correctness, you know.
3: yeah i it, it's you know I watched it the other day, and I was like, "Wow, it's, you know, and I remember as a kid when it came out i was a, I was a sophomore in college and I was like, "Wow, yes."
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> But you're Amazing. right. Blazing
1: Saddles wasn't a sign of the times. It wasn't like anything else. It's what made it special. It busted through and was almost ahead of its time in many ways. Yeah. You know? But now, like when I did the PJs, the anime yes. shows at Mercury, and uh, we had a joke where Thurgood found a. They were in an old radio station that was old, broken down, and they found an old album of Richard Pryor. And it was that nigga's crazy, you know? And the kids hold it up and goes, wow, what is this? Super can can we play this Just play it? You can't even say it anymore. <laughs> and we did that joke 20 <laughs> years ago. We did that 20 <laughs> years ago, Al. Wow. So that's how long we've been dealing with that. I mm. think it's
3: time to bring the BJs back.
1: Uh, people, Eddie said he wanted to do a movie a couple of years ago. I talked to him about it. Wow. Who, knows? who knows?
3: Yeah. But
1: Al, anyway. thanks so much for uh, for being here. I could talk to you forever, of course. You know, it's so much fun talking about this stuff. Good luck with the book. You look Thank so much you. better in person. When does that drop exactly? Or is it out already? Uh, it,
3: this Tuesday, the 28th. 28th
1: of July. Of July, in of, case of you're July able, yes. Of, in case people were listening afterwards. Al Roker, like I said, <laughs> what are you going to say? Good luck with the book. guys.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Okay.
1: Tell so Debbie I will. Take care. Okay, bye Bye-bye. <laughs>